You're listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Patreon. Please consider joining them for $3 a month at patreon.com forward slash The Whole Church Podcast, where you'll get access to our special bonus content, like our pet peeve segment, where we ask our guests about their pets and their peeves within the church. Hebrews 11, 35-40 in the NASB reads... Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection, and others experienced mocking and flogging, and further, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death by the sword, they went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, people of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts, on mountains, and sheltering in caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Dr. Reigns, this pericope comes after a long list of heroes from the Old Testament, and ends with the author tying together their legends with what the church is called to do from that time onward. Do you believe there is some sense of unity we're called to with those believers that come before us? So first of all, thanks for having me. And um, one correction, um, I'm, I'm working on my PhD, but I'm not a doctor yet. Um, can't wait until I'm on a plane when I get my PhD and someone says, is there a doctor on the plane, right? Yeah. So, um, so yes, I do. And I think that's what Hebrews 11 is all about. Um, some people call it the hall of faith. Um, we have this We have this entire cacophony of saints that have gone before us. And, um, you know, Joshua and I were talking about football before um, we before we uh, went live with the, with the podcast. And the way that I imagine this, TJ, is you and I are running our race. You know, Paul's talking about, you know, run the race set before you so that you may obtain the prize. That, that's a that's an Olympics view of of Christianity. And when you read Hebrews 11, you just get this idea that all of these people who suffered so many things that went before us longing for what we have and not even knowing that they were longing for it are just screaming at us, go, 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 go. And so, yeah, I do believe that, that we are certainly united um, with the, the saints, particularly the persecuted saints uh, that have gone before us. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Whole Church Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Joshua Knoll. And as always, um, I'm here, here for for two purposes. Uh, First and foremost, to introduce you to everyone's favorite Georgia Bulldogs fan, uh, Richard Raines, uh, author of Finding Washington, Why America Needs to Rediscover the Virtues of Her Most Essential Founding Father. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Yeah. And... Of course, my other one, it, it's always been my honor, and um, it's, it's a humbling thing, truly. Um, sometimes I actually have to build myself back up after this, because it's kind of draining to just be in the presence of the greatest co-host of any podcast to ever breathe, the one and only TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. Welcome back. Thanks. Yeah, yeah I did an opposite order this time. Did that throw you off? Yeah, a little. <laughs> And guys, I, I want to tell you all, we, you know, we've been planning this convention, the Every Tribe Denomination and Tongue Convention. 
And I, I want to let you guys know something I'm really excited about for this. So you keep looking up for more updates. We don't have everything established yet, so there's no tickets in the show notes. But we're going to have, as part of this event, there's going to be a two-hour worship service that's going to include at least six different languages of people from different churches coming up, singing worship in Hindi, singing worship in Spanish, French, Greek. Guys, it's going to be powerful. It's going to be cool. You're not going to want to miss it. Right. And remember, uh, we'd really appreciate it if you leave a rating or review for the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Podchaser. It really helps. Uh, we love all reviews, negative or positive. Uh, no middling reviews, though. Come on. Be steadfast in your opinions. <laughs> uh, Spotify, it's super easy. Just give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. It's like two clicks, and it still helps a ton. Yeah, yeah. TJ either wants five stars or one star. Yeah, that's it. Uh, you know, like a two is OK. A four is OK. No threes. <laughs> and uh, Richard Reigns. Uh, do you prefer just Richard, Mr. Reigns, anything like that or uh, just Richard is fine. OK, well, Richard, we actually have uh, or I actually have a favorite form of unity. And uh, it's something we do every show. It, it's uh, it's silliness where I, I like to ask a silly question. Uh, TJ and I answer first, let you think about it. And, uh, you know, it just brings us together because it's actually impossible to be divided when you're being this darn goofy. Which founding father of America would you most like to play a one-on-one basketball game with? You can't say George Washington. That's the only rule. Got it. We're going to talk about him too much already. All right, TJ. Uh, Probably James Madison. He was like five foot four. Hmm. Okay. I don't know everybody's height, but from, from what I think i remember and i could just be wrong the most unassuming of the founding fathers i can think of has got to be either thomas jefferson or john adams so i'm gonna go with john adams just because i don't really remember but i feel like i remember him being unassuming so i'm gonna go with that mm-hmm. all right uh richard which yeah, founding father not... are you playing a one-on-one basketball game with yeah i gotta tell you that's probably one of the most important questions of our generation if i think about it um, <laughs> you know really long and hard and there's no question guys it's benjamin franklin yep I would I would break his ankles. Now we'd have to play on like a five foot basket because I'm fat and I can't jump over like three quarters of an inch, right, on a good day, like without pulling a hamstring. But I would I would clearly break his ankles and dunk on him, and it would be it would be ugly. He would he would double down on his pursuit of science and leave the basketball court ashamed. So yeah. Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. I think but there's really only one wrong answer. It, the wrong answer would have been Thomas Jefferson. He was 6'3". Yeah. And he had like long arms. Like there's everyone else was short Man. and unathletic. More That's or right. Man. Just That's my kind of basketball there. team, by the way. I, you know, I think it was is Thomas Jefferson was such a such a Francophile that I feel like in my head, I'm like, hmm. Hmm. He was very French. He was too snooty to play basketball. I got this. I think that's why I just thought he was on a zooming. Basketball didn't exist. Yeah. You know, if None it did, them. he would still We're be too snooty for it. <laughs> that's true. That's true. We would just win. Oh, man. But it's funny, though. One thing we found that really helps with church unity, aside from the silliness, is getting to know one another's stories in the church. Uh, so would you mind sharing like a general overview with our audience of the story of how you came to know Christ and how you got where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So I didn't grow up in church. Uh, my parents, before they got divorced, went to a Presbyterian church. And I remember uh, getting particularly dressed up one day and having to go to the front and the pastor poured water on my head, which I thought was odd. Right. <laughs> and by the way, I'm still friends with that pastor. He still pastors that church. 
and I'm 51 years old. So he's one of my favorite people in the world, but, um, parents divorced and my, um, my mom got remarried, her stepdad, I mean, my stepdad, um, his family went to church and I kind of started going to church with them. And I became a Christian when I was a teenager. Um, I went to church a lot and I understood it, but I didn't really, um, surrender my life. And, um, so I lived with my dad. He had a painting business, he and my granddad, and they shared property. And we had this really big shop um, where we would, you know, keep all our equipment. And I had weights in there. I would lift weights um, at night, late at night after I got off, got off work. And we lived right behind this Baptist church. And so I remember I was in the, in the shop lifting weights one night, just thinking about church. I was thinking about things I'd heard in sermons. And the, the best way I can def- describe it to you is I felt dirty. Like I, I felt my sin. Mm-hmm. I really felt it. And um, so I'm like, I'm just going to go home. And so I left the shop and the light was on. This was like 11 o'clock at night. Light was on at the Baptist church. And there was a car out front. I'm like, dude, I'm just going to walk over there. So I walked <laughs> over to this Baptist church. The pastor was there. His car was running because he just ran into his office to grab something and leave. And I'm like, hey, man, can we talk? And so we talked and he shared the gospel with me. And I accepted Jesus right there in the the pastor's office in this nice. uh, little Baptist church. And, you know, man, never went back to that church. I went back, I went to church with um, my uh, stepfather's family. Uh, that's, and so I uh, grew up. So, so my church experience was uh, a small Pentecostal church in, in South Georgia. And um, that, that really began a, a journey felt called into ministry when I was 18. And I tell people all the time, uh, TJ, I think you'll appreciate this um, because I think you and I have similar humor just based on what I've heard. Um, I tell people all the time that, that when I was 18 years old, I am a hundred percent sure that God called me to preach. And then I preached and God heard me. He was like, yeah. maybe not. Why don't you go do sales? <laughs> like you do sales. So, um, but, um, but I've been in ministry for over 30 years, um, teaching in the church and doing all these other things, but that's really a, a 30,000 foot view of, of my journey. So you yeah, say awesome. teaching, do you still preach or are you kind of considered that the same thing? No, well, it it kind of is the same thing. It's just, it's about delivery. It's a different delivery um, and a different goal. Right. Yeah. But um, I do preach some, if I'm called upon to, to preach and I'm very comfortable doing it because I've been doing it a really long time, but my role in the church seems to be teaching. Like I teach college students. Um, I teach world religions. I teach upper level theology. I teach history of Christianity, mm-hmm. but uh, in, in the church, I'm, I'm the guy that teaches classes. I lead a lead, you know, a Bible study in my home and, all those things. So really that's kind of where I've landed in, in terms of, mm-hmm. of how I express God's call in my life is, is through teaching. Awesome. See, there's uh, even Baptist churches have a good use. You get, get sent to a nice Pentecostal <laughs> church. Uh, <laughs> so what would you say is, is unique about the church you attend now? It's a good question. So, so I attend a mega church now. Um, I attend church of 1122 in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, it's one of the fastest growing churches in the nation. Our pastor, uh, Joby Martin. Honestly, guys, I, I've been to a lot of really good churches. I haven't been a member of a lot of churches because I don't jump around. I just kind of stay. And um, But we moved here a few years ago, ended up at Church of 1122 um, is, is the name of the church. Dumbest name for church in the history of church names. <laughs> and it has a lot of significance. It's the time we meet. We meet at 1122 a.m. So... Um, <laughs> A lot of spiritual significance <laughs> oh, yeah. to that. Church is about 10 years old. We just turned 10 years old. But, so we have about 14,000 or so people that gather together on Sunday mornings at uh, various campuses. And we have another uh, several hundred thousand from various 
places all over the world that that worship online with us. And so it's a really big church. Um, and the most unique thing about our church, I would say, would, uh, is that it, it, unique in a good way. So there's a unique in a good way and then a unique in a funny way. But a unique <laughs> in a good way is it's it's probably the most, in my opinion, and I think I can say this because I teach theology and I try to pay attention to these things, is it seems to me the seems to me to be the most balanced church in terms of really trying to adhere to the Bible for every aspect of mm-hmm. the church life. Like, like I don't think you could define us by any particular denominational distinctive, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Because it's yeah. a young church, right? We haven't really developed those distinctives yet. Um, and so I think that's unique, but also unique about it is there's there's a lot of people like me. Like I grew up Pentecostal, but I'm going to this, it's really more of a Southern Baptist church, really. Um, ton of Southern Baptists, Pentecostals like me, you've got some charismatics, um, you know, and then you've got the, the, the church actually started out of a Methodist church. So it's just this dysfunctional family that believed that what Jesus did on the cross counted for us. And it's one of the most exciting things I've ever been a part of. It's just so exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, we're here today primarily to discuss not just the church, because, you know, we're the whole church. That was a pretty, uh, sounds like it's the church, Unity Church, down there in Jacksonville. But uh, we are just discussing your book, Finding Washington, Why America Needs to Rediscover the Virtues of Her Most Essential Founding Father. I'm going to keep saying the name so people know to look it up on Amazon or wherever they might. Um, but when we were talking before before recording, you know, that we had a few different discussions, and I asked you sort of about the... Uh, Christian nationalism and where that factors into this discussion. And you made this important clarification that people typically think what people think of Christian nationalism and the actual problem is concerning Christian nationalism. You said there's kind of a difference between what they think of and what the problem is. Would you mind sharing what the difference is there? Sure. I'll I'll do my best to try to recall that conversation because it's been a minute. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) so if I miss something, jog my memory, but, um, so I think people that look, so the people that are crying Christian nationalism, what, what I've discovered, and, and like, remember, I teach college, and so I'm, I'm, around, I'm around, you know, academics a lot. And among even Christian academics, there are a lot of sort of liberal-minded, politically liberal-minded people. And there, there's one group that really cries Christian nationalism the most, and it's people who are politically liberal, but they're Christian. And they really only talk about it in election season because anybody that votes differently than them is a Christian nationalist. That's kind of a definition, right? That's not the definition, but that's kind of a definition. Um, Mm -hmm. Sort of the way that I would define Christian nationalism, uh, Joshua, is um, people who mistake the, the priorities of this world for kingdom priorities, if, if that makes sense. So, I would meet the definition of a Christian nationalist if I thought about God's kingdom more in terms of American politics or whatever my country is, right? You don't have to be an American to be a Christian nationalist. Mm -hmm. But let's just talk about America because this is where we are. Like if I thought about God's kingdom primarily in terms of the American political process, then I am confusing the, the kingdom of this world with the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God may or may not be aligned with the political priorities. And for a Christian, 
you know, I tell people all the time, I love alien movies. I love, you know, sci-fi movies and alien movies. And one of the things I kind of came to the conclusion several years ago is the alien invasion has occurred and it's us. Like, <laughs> we're not from this place. We're not, we don't want to be here. We want to be somewhere else, right? This is not our home. We're only passing by, right? You remember that hymn from back in the day? Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, and so, so Christians are supposed to be first aligned with the principles of the kingdom of God. That is our priority. And that's not to say you can't say, I love God and I love my country. It's not to say that you can't say, thank God for, for America, Mm -hmm. you know, but it, but if your grandest expression of your faith is how you express yourself on Twitter about politics, then uh, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, St. Augustine, City of God, does a really good job of kind of exploring the what's it mean to be citizen of God's right. city as who just happens to live here, you know, an ambassador here. Um, I know Tim Keller got in a lot of trouble for kind of just pointing the, out the, the fact, really, that there isn't a political party that's going to perfectly align with God's mission. That doesn't exist. <laughs> I know he, he got in a lot. Yeah, you know, he got a lot of hate for that, but it wasn't completely. You know, I, I like a lot of what he said there. <laughs> well, that's not wrong. It's, yeah. it's not wrong. Like, you know, guys, I voted and my wife and I, I don't know when this is going to air, but today's election day in, in the free state of Florida. And so, you know, we went and we voted uh, today and um, I vote, I do my civic duty. I've served in politics before. I think it's important, but, but my hope is not, my hope does not lie with, with whether or not the party I'm primarily aligned with is in power or not. It just, um, yeah. It, it, it's not where my my priority is. And I don't think I need to beat that horse to death. I think people that are listening to this that love Christ get it. But yeah. I think the challenge for us and and the, the way that we, I think the challenge for us is that we need to be careful the extent to which it sneaks up on us because mm -hmm. everything's political, everything. I mean, we're <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. You know, we politicized a virus. We made a virus political. That's how, that's how dumb we are, right? So everything's political. <laughs> Like, yeah. like how you respond to a virus is related to your political persuasion. That's the, that's the dumbest thing I've ever said. <laughs> right. But, um, yeah. and so everything's political. And I think if you get wrapped up in that and you're a Christian and you find yourself thinking about those things more than thinking about, um, the priorities of the kingdom of God, then I think that you are in danger of this thing we call Christian nationalism. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's key. It sneaks up on you. So self-reflection is really important. I like what you said there. So what do you think the relationship between the church and the government should look like? Yeah, that's a great question. So the simple answer is I want a government comprised of authentic, God-fearing Christians. I want the people that run the government to be sold out for Jesus, but I don't want the government to be a religious entity, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. The the American system, guys, is pretty unique. Um Generally speaking, and this is a longer discussion probably, but, <laughs> but, but in my opinion, the American system works best when the predominant moral view and the predominant, predominant worldview is a Christian worldview, because that's the framework that the American system was built around. It was built by people who held a uniquely and distinctive Christian ethic and Christian moral, even if they were deists. And there weren't a lot of them. There were a few of them. Thomas Jefferson was a deist. Um, 
Benjamin Franklin, who's not very good at basketball, he was a, a deist <laughs> as well. And so or probably a deist. And so even though they were deists, they had a uniquely Christian framework. So so that's why, you know, that's why, you know, Muslim religious law doesn't work here, right? That's why other forms of religious identity don't work as well here because our, our system was built with that uniquely Christian ethic. And so I think it works best, but that's not to say that our government should be a religious entity. So I want godly people in government, but I don't want the government itself uh, to be involved in, in yeah. religion, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. We don't want it's like a it. Catholic monarchy. We just want people. Yeah. Christian. yeah. There's an important difference between Christian ethic, like what you were talking about, Christian religion and Christian faith. Right. But yeah. I'll just so, leave that there. <laughs> rather than allowing the priorities of the country merge with the priorities of God's kingdom, uh, you argue that Washington allowed his personal faith to extend through everything he did, including how he led our nation. Could you expound on that a little? Right. So now one of the things to remember about Washington, so, so I don't know what what church you guys go to, but there's a pretty good chance if you're not Roman Catholic, then you're evangelical, most likely, probably. <laughs> and so if you're Baptist or if you're Presbyterian or if you're Methodist or, you know, Pentecostal charismatic, then then you have very specific sort of language that you use and, and sort of this really specific spiritual language that we use. So so Washington lived really before the evangelical revival. And he was an Episcopalian. He was an Anglican, but he, he became an Episcopalian. He was a deacon. He was a, essentially the, the equivalent of a deacon in, in the Anglican church. And so, so Washington was deeply religious. And that was, that was a term that, that they would use back then. If we say someone's religious, we may or may not be, we may or may not mean they have faith in Jesus. Right. But for Washington, that was essentially what, what he meant. He was a Christian. He prayed, he read the Bible and he had held this faith since he was a child. And so for Washington, the, the greatest expression of his faith was not what he said, but what he did. So even as a child, Washington, um, he put together a book. Um, it was, you know, Washington's rules for, for morality or virtue or something like that. I don't remember, but it was all these rules that he had compiled from other sources that, that he, he wrote this book and he, he, he had a plan for, for how to be a moral and a virtuous person even from his youth, he didn't chop a cherry tree down and not lie about it. That's a, that's a made up story, but he was a virtuous person. And so for Washington, for him, the, the greatest expression of his faith came through his virtue, which, which is, which is how he expressed his, his morality. And so Washington carried that everywhere he went. Um, he was, he lived in a time where, where faith was very personal. Like you didn't, Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't pray on the street corner. Um, but if, if you've ever seen that picture of Washington kneeling in the snow next to his horse, praying at Valley Forge, if you've ever seen that, that painting, that painting um, is, is a reflection of a real event. There was a Quaker who was riding his horse through the woods, heard a sound. It sounded like someone talking, turned his horse, rode in that direction and rode up on George Washington in the middle of the woods in the snow next to his horse. And the, the way the Quaker said it was he was calling to the God of the armies and Washington was fervently praying, but he did that in private. Um, but, 
Mm-hmm. But he carried he carried his faith through the things that he did, and, and integrity was important to him. And so that's what the book is about. The book touches on Washington's faith sort of a little, but the main thrust of the book is, hey, here are a bunch of historical stories that most of you have probably never heard about George Washington. And here are virtues that he displayed in those historical moments. And then really, really the the crux of the book is, okay, we are we are on a fast track to hell in terms of culture and morality in the United States. And this book, Finding Washington, is is written for both people of faith and people that that maybe they don't go to church, but they know there's something wrong with our culture. And this is new for me because all the writing I've ever done in the past has always been very specifically Christian literature, either writing books or I wrote a newspaper column for years. And so, but this book is written for somebody to pick it up. You don't have to know Jesus to pick this book up, but, but it identifies his virtues. And then I make a really strong argument in every chapter for why we need a revival of those very specific virtues in our culture. Um, it's almost, it's very, it's like our, I'm not trying to say that I've written a book on the level of Bill Bennett, but if you ever read Bill Bennett's um, sort of his, his book on morality that he wrote several years ago, um, it's kind of in that vein that we need to revive virtue. And I use George Washington as a as a as a model for that. But remember, all the virtues that I talk about, all of them, integrity, servant leadership, like all the things that I point out in the book, they are all expressions of his faith. Faith in God, whom he referred to God as providence. That was the, the term he used uh, for God. All right. So, was this the original inspiration for the book, or was there something else that inspired you to write about it? That's a really good question. I do get that a lot. And so, um, th- there were several factors that sort of came together. So, number one, I, I'm, a, I'm a church historian. I have a master's degree in the history of Christianity, but the but church history really intersects with world history, particularly European history and American history as you start to understand the evangelical movement or evangelicalism, um, it's hard to get away from it. And so I have this really strong interest in colonial founding father history, right? So that's one thing. So set that to the side. And then as someone who served in politics before, I'm really interested in politics. And I have to agree. And I, I watch, <laughs> I watch politics very closely and I began to notice that every time I would go to vote, I was having to choose people who did not reflect my values. Mm-hmm. And it became very concerning to me. So in 2016, and listen, when I say this, I just want you to know that I am an equal opportunity offender when it comes <laughs> to both sides of the political aisle. But yeah. the when the presidential primaries for the Democrat and the Republican Party ended in 2016, I looked at my wife and I said, well, honey, we have a choice between the worst presidential candidate of our lifetime or the second worst presidential candidate of our lifetime. We have a choice between someone who I considered a traitor, who who destroyed phones with a hammer in a basement and and destroyed emails with bleachware versus a guy that I could not leave in, leave alone in the room with my daughter, right? And it just, I'm like, okay, can't do this anymore. So I started thinking through, it took a, a little bit, but I started thinking, okay, who can we look to? Who can Americans, whether you're religious or not, who can we look to as a model to kind of kind of straighten out this cultural rot that we see? Now, I do include a section in the book that I think that Jesus is the answer for it all. Mm-hmm. 
right? So that's the answer. But there are people that are going to be like, but other than that, who can we look to in our history who was a stand-up American that we can say there is a model for the kind of American that we need to be? And as I started researching that, uh, started researching George Washington, and honestly, didn't get any further than George Washington because what I discovered was that until about five minutes ago, George Washington was considered the epitome of what it meant to be an American. And I, I use the term most essential American in the subtitle of the book because I came to understand and not just believe, it's not a matter of I am making a judgment call. In so many ways, George Washington was the most essential American to the point that we probably wouldn't have a republic, a republic if it wasn't for George Washington. He was that essential to the foundational sort of things that happened uh, in our country to get us where we are now. So um, that's really the motivation for the book. I just, you know, tired of going to the ballot and, and, and voting for, you know, somebody that, you know, if they weren't a politician, couldn't pass a background check, um, you know, tired of all the rot in our society and the, you know, the over-sexualization and the violence. And um, yeah, so that's really the impetus. Yeah. Uh, not sure how everybody feels about the play Hamilton. But there's a line in there about Washington that says, uh, there's nobody else in their country who looms quite as large. And that is a hundred percent true. Cause that's the truth. He was the guy. He was like, there was, when I say there was no other choice, the fact that John Adams got any votes at all that got him the vice presidency <laughs> was a minor miracle because there was no second choice for Americans. It was, uh, yeah. if the guy was still alive and wanted to be president, he could probably, he probably could have remained president for, for life. And then he stepped down after yeah. two terms because he's just, he yeah. just gets it. He got servant leadership. He just he yeah. got it. He understood Jesus. Yeah. And Character I, uh, matters. I thought they put yeah. that line in there because he made really big rugs. <laughs> <laughs> so right. where should people go to purchase Finding Washington? So anywhere online books are sold, uh, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, uh, Amazon is where 70% of the people in this country buy their books. So if you go to Amazon, I would encourage you to either get the Kindle version or the paperback. It, both of those are under $10. Um, if you've ever written a book, you know there's no money in it. So we're not trying to make money. <laughs> um, but um, but it, uh, try to make it really affordable. Uh, the publisher has more to do with that than, than me. Um, but yeah, anywhere online books are sold. Actually, if you don't go to Amazon, I'd, I'd recommend that if you have a um, a local bookstore that you're real good friends with, or you really like, just go to them and they can order it for you. And it would probably be close to the same price and just buy it from your local bookstore, but anywhere online books are sold. Awesome. Right. Uh, so one, one more thing. Uh, is there a question you've always wanted to be asked on an interview? Oh, that's a good question, TJ. Um, man, I don't, I don't know. I have so many interests. Um, and, and I've done so many podcasts at this point that I think I've been asked every question that I could be asked about the book. I actually did a podcast uh, last month and I didn't realize the guy was an atheist that just wanted to debate Christianity. And you've seen the meme. They had us in the first half. You know, the guy said, they had us in the first half. Yeah. He had me in the first half because I didn't know what we were doing, but I think I caught up. Um, but um, no, I, I think I'm reaching a point though, where I'm ready to move on from the book and, and go to the next book, which is going to be probably about probably um, divided kingdoms and and how the kingdom of this world versus the kingdom of God, that sort of thing. Cause I'm really yeah. kind of thinking about that, but I don't, I don't think so. Um, you know, I, 
for the most part, you guys that are that do these podcasts ask ask really good questions. I will say this though, if I could leave, I don't know if we're rounding the end of it, getting to the end of the interview or not, but um, but I identify several virtues: um, integrity, servant leadership, conviction, inspiration. There's so many really good stories about George Washington in the book. Not just because I think they're good stories, but they're just really good stories about how he was the closest thing to Superman they had. And I'm <laughs> promise you, I'm, I'm not making that up. This guy did things that would get you the Medal of Honor today, and he did them all yeah. the time. Um, but when we were putting together, the Americans were putting together the Constitutional Convention, which, by the way, by the way, we had the Articles of Confederation. They weren't working. America was in danger of kind of imploding. Um, and he's on this committee, and he has all these people at at um, at his house, and he it tells James Madison, he's like, look, we need to have a constitutional convention. Everybody's already meeting here for something else. Let's just put together a constitutional convention. So that's how we got from Articles of the Confederation to a republic. <laughs> George Washington said, we need to do this. And everybody came because he's George Washington. And then they had a constitutional convention and they made him the president of that convention. And um, the, the delegates were at an impasse over slavery. If you remember reading in American history about the Virginia Compromise, that's where yeah. we said, OK, here's kind of how we're going to view slavery and you know, a, a slave is, what was it, two-fifths or three-fifths of a person or some stupid number like that or whatever it was. And so they, they couldn't get through that. So George Washington stands up and he says, and I'm going to quote this, and I, I say this in the book. Uh, George Washington said, to please all is impossible and to attempt it would be in vain. The only way, therefore, is to form such a government as will bear the scrutinizing eye of criticism. And this is where we come in and trust it to good sense and patriotism of the people to carry it into effect. So what he was telling the people at the convention was, look, we're not going to solve every problem. We have to do the best we can do and then rely on and have hope. That's the point. He had hope and hope that future Americans, he, he named two things that we need to have to move forward. Good sense, which means you can't be a bunch of functional idiots that are on TikTok all the time, right? <laughs> so you got to have good sense and patriotism. And patriotism means I love this country. Even if we've done crappy things, even if we did slavery, even if the Spanish-American War wasn't the most um, ethical thing we ever did, like you're right. Even if we, even if the Trail of Tears is a real thing, we love this country because there's still no better place. Mm -hmm. So good sense and patriotism to make changes. And so I think for you and I, who 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 are Christians, we certainly have a responsibility to lead the charge in terms of turning this moral tide through the gospel. That's the first place we go, the gospel. But then pointing to people like Washington and saying, look, there was a day when Americans were virtuous and they made good decisions based on Christian ethics and morals. Here's some examples. And I think if we start to do things as, as individual Americans, I think that we can turn the tide. And I hope your listeners will at least give the book a read and email me. Uh, I give my email in the book, richard at findingwashington.com. And let me know how I can help you or your community have bigger and uh, more in-depth discussions. But that's really what the book's about. Well, uh, this time it's going to be a little bit of a hard turn, but we like to ask all of our guests one question. And that's just if you had to give our listener, you know, the average churchgoer, just a single tangible action that would help better maintain unity in the church. What's one practical thing you would tell churchgoers to do? Just one. Yeah, just one. Proximity to Jesus is everything. Whatever whatever you could say about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, 
when you sum up reading the Bible and praying and going to church and worshiping and um, giving your first and your best and all of that, let your life, the sum, if I could say just one thing, I would say be radical in your commitment to be as close to Jesus as Jesus will let you get and the rest of it will work itself out. Focus on that. Don't focus on the end result. Don't focus on, God, what do you want me to do in my life? You know, don't focus on, um, God, do you just tell me your will in this situation? Do you want me to buy, you know, this melon or this melon? I thumped both of them and God, I just don't know, right? But instead of focusing on, you know, God, tell me your specific will or show me this path or show me that path. Like, like Jesus is the goal. Proximity to Jesus is the goal and the rest of it works itself out. That's, that's what I would love to to shake the average Christian and get them to understand that they're going about it the wrong way. Just get close to Jesus. I mean, that's look at the first century church. Read the book of Acts. They didn't even have, they had the Old Testament. They didn't have any of Paul's letters, didn't have anything. They had proximity to Jesus mm-hmm. and it changed the world. Yeah. So what, what would we see change if everybody did that? Got radically close to Jesus. So you would, okay, all right. So let's practically, you would see people change how they spend their money. Because where your where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, right? Your heart follow your treasure follows your heart, right? Mm-hmm. And so if your heart is aligned to Jesus, you would see people change how they spend money. That's one thing you would see. You would see a change in how people spend their time. Um, mm-hmm. Netflix and social media would feel a huge hit, right? There would be a, a tremendous hit on that sort of thing. You would see people reading their Bible like they're going to die if they don't get it. If they don't. You would send, see people spending more time in prayer. You would see people's ethics change. You would see anger go down. You'd see divorce go down. You would see uh, parents making decisions better. I, th- I think that you would see all the transformative things that we all want to see, that we're all trying to figure out ways to get to, including me writing this book. But the answer is if we would pursue proximity to Jesus, like our lives depended on it. And if every Christian did that, I, I, I don't, I don't think there is, there is any barrier th- that couldn't be broken down. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I think. All right. So before we get into the outro, uh, we like to do what is called our God moment segment. We just take a minute to share what all God's been up to with us recently by sharing a blessing, challenge, moment of worship, anything like that. I always make Josh go first just to give our esteemed guest as much time as possible to think about, you know, recently. Uh, so Josh, do you have a God moment for us this week? Man, I, I have a lot, <laughs> um, which isn't terribly surprising. Um, over the weekend, I cooked my first Thanksgiving turkey for the month. Uh, I cook many for those who don't know. And I started thinking of just the reasons why I prefer Thanksgiving to other holidays and it's it's interesting because it's kind of the holidays kind of gone through a deconstruction where it's not necessarily about a specific story anymore. And it's actually a lot more about family, friends and just the idea of being thankful and um, challenge to be more thankful all the time, as I am every year when I think about Thanksgiving. And it's just it's an important thing, I think, to always grow in. Um, also, you know, I mentioned our convention, uh, the as I was finding churches who were going to be part of that worship service I mentioned earlier, I was listening to some different Hindi worship, Christian worship songs, and um, I found a Aza Mujoko Bana. I might be pronouncing that wrong. I probably am. But uh, it's a song I found. There's a worship song in Hindi, and it's about how God is continuing to make me. 
and it's just really powerful and sounds really cool. So yeah, those are my God moments this time. I did too. Yeah. Uh, Indian music is awesome. They That's use true. completely different yeah. octaval structures uh, than the Western world. Super cool. Look into it. That's uh, awesome. For me personally, I'm going to say for my God moment, uh, I got a raise, which is awesome. Oh, yeah. Praise Big God. Big fan of raises. Me too. Especially as an <laughs> hourly employee. Now you can afford to come see me. <laughs> yeah, but I can't ever <laughs> stop working. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, one one problem at a time. <laughs> right. So Richard Rains, author of Finding Washington, insert subtitle. Um, <laughs> do you have a God moment for us? Yeah, I do. I've got a couple. So first is um, my 18-year-old son uh, graduates from the Navy in two weeks. And the reason he joined the Navy to start with was um, he started making some really bad decisions. And he made a really bad decision that forced me to sit down with him and say, you can't live here anymore. Like you have, And, and he was struggling. He, he knew Jesus, but he could not say no to the world. Um, and so he joined the Navy. And the letters that I'm getting from this young man, who I would have said was a boy eight weeks ago, um, the letters I'm getting from him where he has latched on to Jesus in a way that I didn't honestly didn't have the faith that he would. I just really just spent a lot of years worrying about him. So my God moment, first God moment is that that the thing that I hoped would happen during boot camp, which is that God would get him in a place where he could really speak to his heart and that he would hear it happened. So that's a big God moment for, for my wife and I. And secondly, um, I, I work in an industry I teach, but I teach part-time. I actually work for a large healthcare company. I've been doing it for 20 years. I talk to doctors about medicine all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things my industry loves to do is lay people off. It's just really fun. It's a, great thing that we do. It's yeah. a real tradition for us. Mm-hmm. And so we just cut about 40% of our sales force, but um, oh, they didn't cut me. I was able to retain my position. So I didn't get a raise, but I didn't get on unemployment either, TJ. So I'm actually pretty excited about that. Yeah. So we're, we're really thanking God for that. So those are the two uh, that I have. Praise God. Praise God. Every day is a good day that you don't get fired. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. True. Yeah. True. So if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing with a friend or an enemy. You can share with a cousin. Yeah, one of my cousins, that? Josh's cousins. Josh has more cousins than I do, I think. I, I don't know about that, but is sharing's the best the way to help the entire state show? of South Carolina. Your cousin? It's like half. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Also, if you want to hear us on our other podcast, you can go to systematicgeekology.org and you can hear us talk about where faith and geek culture kind of collide and where we think about stuff like uh, the anime One Piece. I don't know. If you want to check it out go over there our there's a host tab our names are there everything we do is right there under our name uh, consider supporting us on patreon for as little as one dollar a month uh, to get access to one of our cool patreon exclusive shows like the pet peeves segment where we talk about pets and peeves yeah and once again please give us a review i love negative reviews lets us know what we can work on just likes positive reviews because he just likes to That's think true. he's doing a great job no i want more people to find the show five stars helps so it was one. One is funny. Yeah, no, so thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, next week, we will interview Bible teacher and retired pastor, Carrie Green. And after that, we'll be interviewing Reverend Justin Coleman from the University United Methodist Church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And after that, we'll be wrapping up our discussion on Job in our Dividing Scriptures series. Finally, at the end of season one, 
Fred Stan will be joining us. Stay he tuned. Know that though, <laughs> we don't know the date of the finale because he hasn't agreed to be on the show yet. We're wearing him down. It'll, it'll be yeah. fine. <laughs> we're, we're wearing on 200 episodes, so <laughs> he needs to hurry up. Sometime soon. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. Remember, you can always sponsor our show at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast. Tune back in next week where we'll be interviewing Carrie Green, retired pastor and online Bible teacher and podcaster. Thank you again for listening.